0: Dr. Lori Doman was born in Kentucky and spent the bulk of her childhood in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. She rode horses from an early age and always wanted to be a veterinarian. She did her undergraduate work in biochemistry and Greek studies at Mount Holyoke College and earned her veterinary degree from the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine in 1997. After graduation, she started a mobile mixed animal practice in Delaware. Soon after starting her practice, Dr. Doman received training in acupuncture, food therapy, Flower essences, and herbal medicine. She has studied with Dr. Steve Marsden, Dr. Huxiang She, registered herbalist Rosemary Gladstar, and many others. She earned her Master's of Therapeutic Herbalism from Maryland University of Integrative Health in 2014 and was accepted as a registered herbalist through the American Herbalist Guild in 2020. In 2013, Dr. Doman downsized her clinical practice and is now a full-time continuing educator And lectures regularly on veterinary herbal medicine as well as other holistic topics. In 2017, she partnered with Dr. Chris August to start the only hands-on veterinary herbal medicine course for western veterinary practices in the United States. She is published frequently in journals such as the Journal of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association and the Integrative Veterinary Care Journal. Dr. Doman is the past president of the Veterinary Botanical Medical Association and is a member of the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society, American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture, American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association, and American Veterinary Medical Association. She serves on the editorial board of the AHVMA Journal. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Lori Doman as we discuss her education, clinical practice, teaching career, and her Delaware Farm and Teaching Center in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Dr. Doman, it's great to talk to you today.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Good, good. So where did you grow up?
1: I grew up um, mostly in Kentucky, and I think that's what really formed me. But when I was about 12, my parents moved to Philadelphia, which really never felt like home. I'm a a farm country girl.
0: So you were out in the country in, in Kentucky then?
1: Yeah, we were in a small town. But all my friends had farms, and, and the funny thing is, my mother was like, "We live in Kentucky; we have to learn to ride horses." And I think she regretted it because I never stopped.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> so you rode when you were little.
1: Uh, yeah, I rode, and I still ride some. I have—we uh, have six horses on our—we have a farm, with six horses. Nice. Now, so, yeah.
0: So, when did you decide you want to be a veterinarian?
1: Um, I think I always wanted to be a veterinarian. My mother says I was about four. I can't really remember a time that I didn't want to be a veterinarian. I actually in high school, I was um, showing I did eventing. I was showing really seriously and my grades were slipping and I had to stop competing as a rider because I knew I wanted to be a vet and I needed, you know, to focus on my academics. I still rode, but not the same way.
0: Gotcha. So where did you do your undergrad?
1: went to Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, which I actually picked because they have a large riding program and uh, bought a horse um, kind of from their riding program. This is a great story. She she picked me. I didn't pick her. Um, They had two rings. And if she was in a lesson in the other ring, she would stop dead and stare at me if I was on another horse. She once even laid down and rolled (laughs) over to get somebody else off her back. She would whinny when I pulled into the parking lot, so she picked me.
0: That's amazing. Did you amazing. Uh, you competed then on a team when you were there?
1: I didn't actually, because again, it was all about academics. But I rode for fun. You know, I rode all the time. I worked in the horse barn. I put myself through undergrad and vet school, working in barns, um, race tracks, everywhere. So wow. Yeah. Did
0: uh, what? What did you major in in undergrad?
1: Uh. Biochemistry with a minor in ancient Greek cultures. Interesting. (laughs) I was always really fascinated by Greece. uh, You know, I needed to get all the credits and I liked chemistry. So I kind of had to do a little bit of everything to get what I wanted and what I needed for vet school.
0: So you went to Penn. Yep. Did, Did you have, were there other schools that interested you or was that it?
1: Um, you know, being in Philadelphia, I always wanted to go to Penn, but uh, I also got into Michigan State University, and I think I would have been very happy there. But, you know, then I got into Penn, so that was that.
0: Had you been in New Bolton before you got into vet school?
1: Yes, yes. I had horses.
0: You know, I mean, friends friends had
1: horses, but, yeah, you know, but it was it was different there as a student than as a owner of a patient or a friend of an owner <laughs> of a patient, for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, Michigan State's great, but they don't have any new Bolton, that's for sure.
1: Right, right. No, it was, I got my second horse um, off the track when I was in my third year of vet school, and she was going to go to slaughter, and she was just beautiful, like head-turningly stunning. And they had raised her young, and she had um, bone fragments and cartilage in her knees. And uh I took it to, we were in large animal block of lectures and I took it to the um, doctor lecturing that day and I said, can you fix this? And he said, "Yep." And she came in like two days later and it was actually really great because, because I did all her post-care when I was a senior in rotations. He let me do a lot more than any of the other students because he knew I'd done it on my own horse. So it ended up to be a really great experience and he really mentored me. Mike Ross and uh, it was it was good.
0: Oh sure. That w- that does sound like a great experience.
1: Yeah. So so then I had two horses. Did
0: you, did you enjoy <laughs> vet school?
1: Yes and no. I uh I was talking to someone else recently and I enjoyed the large animal park very much and I focused. Like my major was equine. We were the first year where pen focused people and I was equine, but um the small animal hospital, and I didn't get along, I tell this story that uh, and when I was in the medicine rotation, a um, guy came in and his cat was in kidney failure, and I sat down with him in the waiting room, and I said to him, I said, you know, we can treat kidney failure, and we can keep your cat comfortable and alive for a long time, but you can't cure it. You know, it's incurable. And they took me off clinics, didn't let me see another, speak to another client owner, and gave me a C in the rotation for telling the truth. Because at Penn, we can fix everything. Uh, so, so that was not my favorite experience. And they were very sexist. Mm-hmm. Even though my class was 75% women, it was outrageously sexist. I had the uh, secretary to the dean tell me that the reason this one woman in our class got all these privileges is because she'd come in crying. you know, And because I was a strong woman, they were never going to you know, give me an inch of room.
0: So, Uh, did you, uh,
1: New Bolton was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. New Bolton
1: was fabulous. I loved it. You know, everyone there was great. I've learned a ton and I, you know, and I majored in that. So I spent 40 weeks out there. So it wasn't really that much of a problem.
0: Did they, I I don't know. You tell me, did they have a good field service rotation? Did you get out of the clinic and on the road?
1: Yep. I did, uh, a month of that, four weeks of that, at Mm -hmm. least maybe six. So, Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. I actually, um, they worked for the barn where I moved my horse from college when I moved down to Pennsylvania from Massachusetts. I actually, I, she was, um, someone I had been in connection with as I was applying and everything. And I just reached out to her and that's how I found the barn where my horses lived while I was in vet school. So. Yeah.
0: That's kind of nice. Did yeah. so were you aiming to go into equine practice then after graduation
1: i was and then i um you know did farm calls and i was moonlighting at a small animal practice because you know you can't build a practice and make money in a week so um so people would hear oh you do small animals well can't you do my animals while you're here and so i ended up with a mixed animal mobile practice which i really enjoyed that was you know that was really nice um so i just saw everything that they had, but, you know, mostly it was people with farms like mine where they had tons of animals. I enjoyed that where you'd spend half a day at one client and see everything and really get a feel of it. And I think that goes to the holistic is when you're more involved and more in their life, you get to know more about them. And it's better medicine for the animals when you know what their lifestyle is.
0: Sure. So you started your own practice right out of school.
1: I did. I, um, You know, I kind of had clients waiting for me, having worked in barns and on the racetrack all through vet school. um, I kind of had people waiting for me to graduate, So, which was great. And it just built from there. And
0: what, what part of, were you still in Pennsylvania then, or where did you go?
1: No, I moved, actually, the barn manager at the barn in Pennsylvania had moved to Delaware, and it was right before my last year of vet school, and I moved my horses with her because I trusted her more than... The person who had taken over the barn. And so I moved my horses with her. And so when I graduated vet school, I bought a house in Delaware and I'm still here.
0: Was it uh, s- scary kind of having everything on your shoulders, doing all your on- on-call and emergencies and all that stuff?
1: No, I think I was young enough that I was still, you know, breathing and fearless. I do remember when I went from that period of being afraid to say, I don't know, because you don't feel like you know anything to knowing you know enough to say, I don't know, let me look into this because you know that you know enough and you can't know everything, you know? So I do remember that, that time period. But I had good mentorship, you know, between um, Mike Ross for any equine questions I had. And uh, there was uh, some local small animal vets in Delaware that were very helpful to me that really took me under their wing. So
0: that's really nice. I was very fortunate. Yeah. So when did the holistic medicine come into play?
1: So um, Dr. Carol Falk was my best friend in med school. She's one of my close friends. And she did an internship in DC and then went straight holistic. You know, she started at the Chi Institute right away. And she kept saying to me, Lori, you're going to love this. You've got to go holistic. You've got to go holistic. And I kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when my husband and I started having kids, And I had always been pretty judicious in what I did and cautious, you know, fewer vaccines, less medicine, you know, and it had always been kind of my spirit without my knowledge. And when I had kids, we started making our own baby food and we really researched and our kids are minimally vaccinated. And I said to my husband, I said, I say my practice is an extension of my family. Well, then I need to make it so. And when my youngest was still in diapers, I uh, took IVIS and um, I did two levels of Bach flower essence training. And then, right as IVIS ended, um, I read in this magazine that doesn't even exist anymore about Rosemary Gladstar and her herbal program. And it said in that article that a veterinarian had done it. And I, uh, you know, I was intrigued and it was for our standards and for veterinary standards, incredibly inexpensive. So I said to my office manager, it was seven weekends. I said, if I hate it, we're spending less on one, on this whole course, what we would spend on one weekend of CE at a formal conference. You know, I just won't go back. And in the end, I was just hooked. You know, I just, that was where my passion was. And I always say, I'm really glad I did IVA's first because I don't know if I would have done it had I done the herbs first, but I really, you know, I like being able to dabble in acupuncture. I wouldn't say it's my greatest skill, but, um, you know, I know enough to do small things. And I also really like the Chinese theory because that certainly helps me with the herbs. And then I felt like between the Chinese and, um, the herbs, there's that continuum. I felt like I had to do a food therapy course. So I did cheese with Carol, actually, she and I took cheese food therapy together one long weekend. So that was fun. And then obviously, I've gone on and got my master's and yada yada. So yeah.
0: When you um, did your IVUS and started working on your patients, were, were your clients pretty accepting of that?
1: Um, we actually when I fully went holistic, yeah, I went integrative holistic is not accurate. I went integrative sent a letter saying that things would be changing. And I didn't really notice a loss of clients. But one of the things that I did notice that when I teach, I always talk about is that students always say to me, well, how do you tell your clients? How do you justify this to your clients? And I say, you don't, you know, this is your medicine, the same, you don't justify giving them Clavamox or prednisone, you don't have to justify the herbs. Here's your medicine, and those clients that are going to ask you, "What is Clavamox? Why are you giving it?" are the same ones that are going to say, "What is this tincture? Why are you giving it?" And those you have a conversation with, and the ones that just want their, you know, bottle of medicine and to pay their bill and walk out the door, don't care whether you're giving them herbs or Clavamox. You know, they just want their animal fixed. So. Um, I'm sure some people, you know, a few people left, but mostly, you know, it really didn't change things for my clients that I noticed as much as it changed things for me. And then I started getting all the people who were actually looking for a holistic vet in the area. And I was the first one. It's very funny because, you know, I was maybe the second acupuncturist in the state of Delaware, Delaware when I moved in had 150 vets in the whole state, literally. And then I started getting letters like, "We're now offering acupuncture. We have so and so certified." And I thought, "Well, gee, I should have done that part. <laughs> <laughs> because I was an <laughs> acupuncturist before, you know, before it became okay to be an acupuncturist." <laughs> so, but uh, so it's become more—at least that part's become more common. And a friend of mine down the street has RX vitamins products in her clinic, even though she do- would never consider herself integrative. And so, yeah
0: things are changing
1: yeah Um, thank goodness
0: (laughs) talk about the what was it like to train with rosemary what what did the sessions involve and were you alone or were you in the group
1: i was in her last apprenticeship she ever did um which is kind of why i did it right coming off IVIS. it was hard on my family because you know i was gone so many weekends for so for a year but um she's amazing it started with a home study which i had done which you know was i was glad i did that first and uh, it was 10 lessons and you sent in homework and somebody read them and commented on them and uh, then the weekends you know she came at it from we did you know we'd look at the herbs she had beautiful gardens at sage mountain which she owned and uh, you know lectures on some of the materia medica. But it was so smooth and homey that I don't think I realized how much it was teaching, if that makes any sense. You know, it was yeah. just so intimate. I mean, it was a, it was the largest class she ever had. It was uh, 20-ish people. And she said it was the largest. And I think she let that many people in because um, it was her last one she was ever going to do.
0: Yeah, But uh,
1: it was... It was great. And we stayed on site and, you know, we potlucked our food and, um, so it was, yeah, it was just really special. And she, she just radiates joy. She just radiates love and joy and just being in her presence. You know, you really understand the phrase basking in someone's presence when you're with Rosemary.
0: Were there other, any other veterinarians in the class? in? there were
1: it? not. Just me.
0: What was it like to uh, kind of co with herbalists then?
1: Um, It was interesting and what I have found as I've gone through my life now since then is that I know more herbalists than most veterinarians because I came from that folk herbal tradition as opposed to from the veterinary side and so I had to bring it to the veterinary side so you know, I've been to more herbal conferences than veterinary conferences in the last, you know, ten or fifteen years. So, you know, it's just I, you know, I find my friends say who, and I'm like, how do you not know so and so? You know, uh, uh-huh.
0: so
1: I come from I come from a very folk herbal and having learned coming through that way.
0: And how did your master's program fit in then? What what made you decide to do that?
1: So Rosemary, she was advertising it in some emails. She sent, so I called her up and I said, do you think I should do this? And she said, yes, honey, I think you should. I think it would be good for you. Because Laurel, Maryland is like an hour and 20 minutes from me. So it wasn't hard. And I went to an open house there and I talked to the then head of the herbal program, And he said, sure, there will be some classes that are very redundant for you. He said, but it's, there will be a lot you'll learn. And he was right. What was really great about it was, you know, this is a CIVT podcast and CIVT is very research-based, writing-based, you know, um, that whole side of it. And that is what I got out of MUIH, out of my master's, was that whole side of it that learning from a folk herbalist, just an oral tradition, basically. I wouldn't have had that I think is very important and very necessary. And so I really love the marriage of my two trainings, as it were. I think it makes me really well-rounded.
0: Yeah. Seems like a good mix.
1: Yeah.
0: So at what point did you decide to start teaching?
1: Um, So I was um, on the VBMA board. And with Hugh Caraman and Cindy Lanknaw and, you know, Barbara Fugere and everybody else. Um, and Hugh was looking, um, the state of Pennsylvania had asked him to bring in somebody to teach an introductory class on holistic medicine. And he felt that I was very integrative and moderate and so that I would be not too scary to them. Mm-hmm. and uh, so he brought me in and I really enjoyed it and I got a ton of good feedback and then I just started figuring out that I really enjoyed the teaching and it kind of snowballed from there and at HBMA many many years ago shortly after I did rosemary I walked up to Susan Wynn who you know, now is a friend of mine and I said to her I said how do you train as a veterinary herbalist like you know I have all this human training how do I get the veterinary she said oh, you don't. You just teach yourself the veterinary side. In her, you know, very blunt (laughs) Susan way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and in that moment, I can remember exactly where we were standing. And in that moment, I knew I was going to write a course someday because I felt like that was not okay. You know, there needed to be something for veterinarians to become practical herbalists. And then, you know, working with Barbara Fugere and all that has led me to hear
0: and in what time frame did you start the school?
1: Uh, I have had it for 10 years now. So I closed my big practice in 2013 and I was already teaching <clears throat> excuse me, and it was financially unsustainable to keep a staff when I was and even clients when I was you know away so much teaching. And uh, so I closed my practice 10 years ago and I started the actual full herbal apprenticeship for veterinarians eight years ago with Chris August. So she and I co-wrote it and started it. So it took us a couple of years to, you know, fully write it during which time I was teaching small and she and I started teaching smaller classes and all of that. So
0: it's really labor intensive to put together that sort of thing, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. I've gotten much quicker at writing courses, but it's, it's always a lot. And then, you know, if you love what you do, like I do, I find that I rabbit hole it. So I read an article and I'm like, oh, I want to read these eight articles that they reference. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I have to be like, I don't have time for that. I don't need them to write this presentation, you know, read them another time.
0: You, um, you do the teaching in a different state. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: So, um, yeah, one time, My husband and I were looking for a place to take our kids for vacation over spring break kind of last minute. And I have, we have a very close friend who had bought a house in the Outer Banks. And he said to me one day, anytime you want to go down, just ask me for the keys and you can go. So I asked him for the keys and my husband and I fell in love with the Outer Banks and the kids did too. And we started vacationing there a lot and you know, kind of figured that's where we'd end up retiring when we're ready. And I didn't want to, my original plan was to start teaching when both my kids graduated high school. And I had someone at MUIH and and, um, and an herbalist who owns Healing Spirits, Andrea Ryzen, say to me, what are you waiting for? You know, live your life now. And that was kind of part of why I started earlier. But I said to my husband, I don't want to start this in Delaware and get." all the connections and the establishment that I need and then have to pick it up and move it. So we kind of decided together that I just started down there. And with Chris August coming in, and she's very focused on self-care and that whole end of it, which was beautiful and I've learned so much from her. Um, the Outer Banks really just being there is self-care. When I first brought her in and I'm like, this is where I want to teach. She's like, yep, <laughs> this is where we want to teach. And so people really find that the beach and the area soothes their soul and that's really been an extra bonus of being there. You know, so and now my last son's starting senior year of high school. So me being down there more, you know, it gets easier and easier as we very slowly migrate our lives that way.
0: Sure. So how often are you down there?
1: I teach mostly fall and spring because um, summer—it's unaffordable. You know, I mean, it's tourist, tourist, tourist. It's not some place that I want to be in the summer, and it's not some place that I could teach, and that you know, people would have that tranquility in the summer, and uh, let alone the finances of them having to stay places or eat places. You know, they couldn't even get lunch in the time period, and we give them an hour and a half for lunch, and they <laughs> wouldn't be able to do it in the summer. So in the dead of winter, after New Year's, everything shuts down there for about six weeks until Valentine's Day. It's when all the locals go on vacation. And so I kind of take those periods off. But I teach, you know, basically, you know, I'm always moving in when all the tourists are moving out. So I teach basically shortly after Labor Day until the beginning of May. Not every weekend, but, you know, many.
0: Sure. Now, is the goal still for you you and your husband to retire there?
1: Yep. We have a house down there. Um, eventually, you know, he will, he will join me there more and more. Last year with the kids being more adult, he came down and hung out with me more. But he has his own career that he is not ready to give up yet. So, um, but his busy season, he's a sportscaster and he does football and basketball. So his busy season is when my busy season is so... It works out well, and then we can spend, you know, the summer. So I always his birthday is May fifth, so that's always when I try to get home by. You know not be home. Gotcha. For his
0: and you both you live on a, a seventy two acre farm. How long have you had the property?
1: I bought it in nineteen ninety nine for like they, these people were giving it away, and I was kind of looking for a farm, you know, down the line. And my friend said to me, you know, you need to go look at this, and they. Really, we're just giving it away and, you know, it needed a lot of work, but we were able to, since my husband and I got married two years after that, you know, we've been able to put the work in and fix it up and it's really lovely. We love it here.
0: Almost 25 years now.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a large bit of property. Do you feel like you know it all?
1: Yeah. And I feel like I know it. Better The more I learn herbs and the more I learn plants, you know, it's really fun to herb walk and be like, oh, look what's growing there. Oh, this is new, you know. So I know it in a very different way than I did when I bought it and before I became an herbalist. Obviously, I've planted it up with herbs and natives and all kinds of things, too. Every year I seem to put in more garden beds. And then I leave in the fall, you know, when all my everything is ready to harvest. So that's always a bit challenging, but it works.
0: Yeah. Um, We keep the property, you think, after you move south?
1: Yeah. We never want to be in the Outer Banks in the summer like this. Just my husband and I are not those kind of people that want to be there when all the tourists are there and it's crazy. So yeah. Um, The local university, Delaware State University, has an equestrian program. And my goal is to have somebody you know, give them free room and board for, uh, taking care of our animals during their semesters, which would be perfect for when we'd want to be down there.
0: Oh, sure. So we should, (laughs) good. Um, you've been involved extensively with the AHVMA and and especially with the journal. Has writing always been something that's been an, an interest?
1: Um, my dad was an English professor, so I think I always had to write at a higher standard, which I'm kind of grateful for. And Mount Holyoke was very writing based. Even our lab reports were at a different level than other schools. I remember this because Mount Holyoke is part of a five college consortium with Amherst College and Smith College and the University of Massachusetts. And I took a course at UMass. I took physics there. And I got like hundreds on all my lab reports, you know, so because and he's like, the teacher was like, this is, you know, just a different standard than what we expect here. Um, so I think that I've written enough that it comes fairly easily to me. But I have to be, I have to be ready, like things conjugate in my brain, and then I can sit down and write them in a day. But it takes me a while to get my brain ready to write.
0: Has, that, has your, your passion for writing carried over into your teaching? Do you require a, a good uh, writing skill from your students?
1: So they do have to do homeworks in the full apprenticeship. They have to write monographs. And, you know, we, we comment on them. We always give them feedback, but we don't grade them, you know, with letters. There's, it's not a pass-fail kind of thing. They have to complete everything to get their continuing ed credits you know, per race, but uh, um, we just comment on it. But I think that veterinarians, I always am surprised if I get a student here or there who doesn't write well, because I think we've all had to write in our lives to get through undergrad and veterinary school. And so I just expect people to be, you know, have a standard of literacy. So and it's not very often I don't see it, but occasionally.
0: So now that you're, you're solely concentrating on teaching, what's your day to day like when you're, when you're not down actively teaching at the school, what's your day to day like in Delaware there?
1: So, uh, a lot of my time is writing new courses and, or freshening up lectures. You know, one of the beautiful things about herbs becoming more common and more popular and all of holistic medicine is that more and more research is coming out every day. So, you know, you have to freshen and keep things up to date all the time and then i'm always writing new courses i taught um, ayurveda this past spring maybe and all the students there are like when are we getting ayurveda too (laughs) and i'm like uh i guess i'll work on that so you know and i of course immediately had ideas that now i have to go learn about so i take a lot of courses you know either online or go to things or, you know, however that works out I'm constantly learning and going to lectures and then research articles and then writing courses and freshening courses and doing material. And, you know, I do my own administrative work. And then there's the whole herb part, you know, like I said, I have this farm with all these herbs and all these plants that I have to maintain and take care of. And our, my life is holistic and So I'm making products for my own animals. I do still have 10 clients, so about 50 animals under my care. And so, you know, I still take care of them. They need, you know, or they're all obviously very open to the herbs and wanting that. So they need their products. And so it's been kind of making, making medicine. I make all my own medicine. That's, you know, the Rosemary side of me is I don't buy, even though I, there are some great companies out there and I have a big liaison with Herbalist and Alchemist and Beth Lambert. Personally, I make everything because that's how Rosemary taught me. And that's, and I, sure. it, so yeah. So that's what my days are like. And when I switched over from practice to teaching all the time, I said to my kids, cause they were, you know, preteen, maybe a little younger, I said, look, I'm going to be away more. But when I'm home, I'm completely available to you. Because I was missing my older son's a swimmer. And I was missing so many of his swim meets, you know, either on Saturdays or working late evenings. And so I sp- I've spent, he's now in college, but I have spent many years reading articles and writing lecture at the side of a pool you know, my summers would be driving him from place to place and working, you know, and carrying my computer bag and working. He was swimming. So, um, which, you know, was great. It was great. So kind of balanced my life a little differently, which I think, I think it really worked. I know. I hope they feel that way too, as they grow up. But for me, I feel like I was much more present in their lives than I would have been had I stayed in practice working as a solo practitioner, you know, five and a half, six days a week.
0: You bet. Yeah. Especially large animal. Yeah. Well, Lori, I think that's probably a good place to stop. It's been wonderful to hear your story and get a chance to chat. And I just want to take this time too, to thank you for your contributions to holistic medicine and to the HVMA and especially to the journal.
1: Oh, thank you, Neil. It's, it's wonderful. And the community we have is just fantastic. And you know, Really joy to be a part of.
0: Yeah, I can't argue with that. Well, thanks so much, and I hope to see you soon.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: All right. Bye bye. Bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.